0: Friends, thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. Throughout the fall of 2020, on this podcast, we'll be taking a look through the Bible at what happened to people when things fell apart in their worlds, sort of like what many of us are experiencing right now. We're calling this fall series When Things Fall Apart because, well, things feel like they're falling apart. So let's talk about it. We invite you to lean into these stories each week to embrace the intersections. Where these ancient stories collide with our current collective world and our own personal lives. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast. And we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Thanks. The scripture reading today is from Jeremiah, chapter 29, Verses 1 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elusa, son of Shepha, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce.
1: Good morning, friends. It's great to be with you. When things fall apart, the temptation is to run and hide, isn't it? For many of us, to binge watch a TV show or go take a nap. There's no judgment here. I think we can all relate, especially in these times. And you got to know, things have fallen apart pretty badly for Israel here in this text we just heard, to the point where they're not even in Israel anymore which is why what Jeremiah tells them to do is so very challenging. He says to build and to plant, to commit themselves to dwelling in this new place for 70 years. Dwelling by building houses and planting gardens is likely not top of mind for the Hebrew exiles, with their hearts broken and pining for home. To understand what Jeremiah is calling for, I wanna invite us to grapple with two themes that emerge from this text. Um, The fear of dwelling and the call to dwell. First, the fear of dwelling in a world that's fallen apart. What's the point of dwelling or building and planting when none of it belongs to you? We might think of the difference between renting and owning. As a renter, you might hang a few pictures, maybe even paint a wall or two, but you're unlikely to undertake a huge uh, renovation project. Or imagine working at a place where you're treated more like a number than a person. When we have no real sense of ownership, there is little to no motivation to be creative, to do our best work, to excel in the stuff that we do the temptation is going to be really strong to just simply dial it in. This was precisely the problem for Jeremiah, or for Jeremiah's audience, that they were exiles, living under the Babylonian empire, on land that did not belong to them, land they wanted to leave as quickly as possible. They had just gone through a radical dislocation Their world turned upside down. They are feeling disoriented. They find themselves far from home, cut off from everything familiar. The very things that once gave life meaning and purpose are obliterated, pushed outside of the promised land They don't know who they are. The land was so critical for shaping their sense of identity and destiny in this world. And here they are trying to pick up the pieces with competing factions of prophets, telling them two very different messages. There are prophets like Hananiah in Jerusalem and Shemaiah in Babylon, who are assuring them that this disaster will be short-lived. Yes, it's a nightmare, but it will all end soon. It's only a momentary phase. In fact, they're rounding the corner. That's the message. This sad moment. And it is sad, but it's merely a temporary setback. And there's no doubt about it. They will come roaring back, stronger than ever. So there are these prophets, these prophets of nostalgia, preaching a message of former greatness to which they will return quickly on the one hand. And then there's Jeremiah, the prophet of doom and gloom, with his far less optimistic message. Jeremiah tells them to get ready for a long, multi-generational exile. There's no upbeat message of this too shall pass here. It's going to be many, many years. Gasp! Who can bear such a message? To be told there is no going back to the good old days, to be told a truth about yourself and about your people that is not only unpleasant but downright offensive. This exile won't be over in a matter of months or even a few years. Imagine how demoralizing that would have sounded. And it's in this context as if to make things even worse, even more depressing that Jeremiah tells the people to build and to plant, to make the permanence even more real. And then to top it all off, yes, there's more. This city in Babylon called Nippur, which was most likely the place where the exiles were settled, was a place of devastation, the site of many years of warfare between the Assyrian and Babylonian empires, leveled, ransacked, I mean, picture smoldering embers everywhere. As you might imagine, Nippur is not a prime real estate kind of place. And you know, this is the way empire works. To give the dregs the worst of the land and its resources and feign surprise at the inability of a downtrodden and oppressed people to work hard and prosper. This is the context in which Jeremiah tells the Israelites to build. And so we must ask once more, what's the point of building when none of it belongs to you? When you will get credit for none of it? When all of it will build the kingdom of your oppressor? Sackcloth and ashes are what Israel might want to reach for, not hammers and shovels. Let me tell you a story. Samson Ockham was a Mohegan Indian born in the place we know today as Connecticut. For him, it was simply home, the land of his family, his people, Mohegan country. When foreigners from across the ocean invaded and colonized their land, Ockham made a crucial decision. He converted to Christianity and his teacher and mentor was a man named Eliasar Wheelock. Together, they dreamed of building a school for many Indian children, many Indian children like, like like himself. So for Occam, this was a way to make the best of a hard situation. He was so committed to this cause that at the request of his friend, uh, his friend Wheelock, he crossed the Atlantic and spent two years traveling around England, raising funds for the Indian school. It was not an easy trip for Ockham. You know, he wrote back often uh, these tearful letters back to his friends and family back home, especially his wife, um, saying things like, uh, he wrote about being, and these are his words, a gazing stock, even a laughing stock, in this land of the English, where people treated him like some exotic animal. When he returned at the end of a long and difficult trip, he not only found his friend Wheelock had uh, completely neglected his family, leaving them to, uh, leaving his wife and his children to nearly starve to death. This Christian man took the school, which was their joint venture, moved 150 miles north into New Hampshire, where he used all of the money Occam had helped to raise and created a school for young white men. Eventually, the school did so well, it became one of the success stories of the colonial period, becoming a member of an elite network of universities known as the Ivy League. We know the school today as Dartmouth College. But for Ockham, it was time and land and a dream stolen from him. This is what it looks like to build and to plant in the place of exile, in the shadow of empire. You know, it's a story that happened over 200 years ago, but let's not kid ourselves. The story might might as well be something that happened yesterday, because it still happens all the time today. This is why when we hear these words of Jeremiah, this invitation to build and to plant, some of us instinctively flinch. What's the point of building and planting when none of it belongs to you? Build houses and plant gardens, says the prophet of the Lord. And the people of Israel might have been heard uh, might have been heard whispering under their breath, "What for?" So that's the first point the the fear of dwelling which brings us to our second point the call to dwell or to build and to plant in the face of adversity when the odds are stacked against us now what do we do in those times the spiritual lesson put briefly is this the world in tatters is not the final word it is a hard thing to build and to plant under these circumstances Jeremiah caused them to do it anyway and that's kind of the point isn't it because to build and to plant these are also some of the most basic human activities especially if we think of building not first and foremost as something that uh, benefits our reputation or our bank accounts or or our resumes we build because that's what it means to be human to live, to create, to exercise our longing for life and beauty and meaning. We plant because that's what it means to cultivate not just the land for food, but to cultivate our souls and our hearts. Ed Bengiat, the famed master of typography who among many other iconic images was the designer of the New York Times nameplate. He died last week at the age of 92 and there have been some beautiful um, uh, tributes written reflecting on his life and legacy. Well, Bengiat once said, the most beautiful thing in the world is a blank piece of paper. I know it's not true for everyone But for him, that was the deepest and truest thing he could say about beauty. For some of us, it's the quiet of the morning when you have the house and your thoughts all to yourself before everyone else wakes up. For some, it's the vast ocean with its powerful, frothy waves lapping at your toes right before you dive in for a swim and you create a sanctuary right there in the water. For some, it's literally a blank canvas before the first splash of paint. What is it for you? What do you dream of building and planting? Whether it's a blank piece of paper or a blinking cursor on the screen, God's word to us is don't let the despair of exile and the crushing ways of empire In the circumstances of this life, whatever they may be for you today, don't let those things stand in the way of building and planting. In other words, don't let the sorry state of the world stand in the way of doing good in the world. What's the point of building when none of it belongs to you? Well, there are lots of reasons, actually, when you stop to think about it. Some build for beauty, some by necessity, some in order to share. What's the point of building when none of it belongs to you? Well, if you are planning on giving it all away in the first place, maybe it's not such a big deal. The call to dwell points to a deeper truth about our common humanity, that when all is said and done, we are most fully ourselves when we are persons holding on to one another, taking care of one another, loving one another, in the very midst of times when things are falling apart. We build and we plant, not for ourselves, not to fulfill our own grandiose dreams, but for the sake of others. We build and we plant because we have people to take care of, because we want to use our hands and our hearts and our lives to do good. When we build and plant, we are not only exercising human dignity and agency, we are also cultivating profound human connections. When God says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God is not merely prescribing a behavior He wants the Israelites to take on. Rather, God is describing the way the world works, that human beings flourish when we care for one another. If there's anything we've we've learned the past few months. It's that humans are wired for connection, for mutual understanding, for flourishing together, and not stagnating apart in isolation. It's actually the very thing the people of Israel failed to do when they were in the promised land. The reason they got themselves into this mess of an exile in the first place. To make this plain, we're going to need a quick Old Testament survey mini-class. I promise it'll be quick. Broadly speaking, the Old Testament consists of the Law and the Prophets. The Law and the Prophets. The Law had in its basic structure two components, love for God and love for neighbor. And in the Prophets, there are two areas of moral failure that God is primarily concerned about spiritual idolatry, and social injustice. This is what gets them exiled. Idolatry and injustice. Idolatry is the failure to love God, and injustice is the failure to love one's neighbors. So the prophets point back to the law. And what God is telling the people of Israel to do in the exile is to stop doing the very things that got them into exile In particular, their their wrongdoings against one another, uh, social injustice. And God is asking them to do the thing they were not doing, which is looking out for their neighbors. For it's in loving their neighbors in seeking the, the welfare of others that they would find their own health and their own flourishing and their own welfare. I hate to say it, but if we're honest, most of us recoil at the idea that our well being is wrapped up in the well being of others. How many of you loved group projects in school? I hated them. Sadly, I think we've all seen this dynamic magnified in recent months. We live in a world where being dependent on another person, being responsible for another's welfare, sounds more repugnant and more dangerous to many of us than a life-threatening virus. The idea of communal responsibility, of, of, being, of all just being in it together, the collective good, is offensive to us. Let's face it, the belief that your welfare is my welfare is heresy in American culture. But it's one of the basic teachings of christianity love of god and love of neighbor so to make this real concrete for us today in the midst of a pandemic we must not forget that it isn't just a virus that's making us sick it is our dehumanizing of other people our debasement of people different from us our setting up of racial and gender hierarchies our obsession with getting gaining riches and building cathedrals, and building and planting our ambitions for our own greatness instead of building houses and planting gardens for the flourishing of others. Yes, the virus made us sick, but you know what else made us sick? Our self-centeredness and our refusal to care about the good of others by putting a little piece of fabric over a portion of our faces our sickness this pandemic the sad state of our national discourse and democratic politics were many years in the making friends this is not a 2020 thing i know it's easy to pick on 2020 it's kind of an easy target but it's an american thing yes i'm gonna say it it's an american virus Because it's a human virus. We may not like to hear it. We may not like that we are here. But here is where we are. And this is where the words of Jeremiah can be so so helpful to us. Because to a people longing to go back to the good old days in Jerusalem, Jeremiah said, Here and now, in the land of Nippur, This war-torn place where you scrape along in the shadow of death and empire. Here in the place of hopelessness and despair and sadness. This place that you hate. This place where you were never supposed to be. Where you want to get out of as quickly as possible. In the very place where you don't want to be. Here and now, build houses and plant gardens. Dwell here discovering your welfare in the welfare of others. Love one another as you love yourself. Or as Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Dear friends, this is the good news. As we read it in John chapter one, verse 14, and the word of God became flesh. And dwelt among us. When the world is falling apart, what are we to do? We are to build and plant for the flourishing of others. We are to dwell together in unity. This is God's word for us. May it be so in our lives, may it be so in our world. Amen.